0: It's uh, good to see some new faces that I haven't seen in a while. Welcome back. Welcome back, yeah. We have been here. (laughs) A few years ago, a few years ago, there was a young lady named uh, Rachel Smith who won the Miss America uh, beauty pageant, and she's a bright young girl. She goes all over the world helping underprivileged children. Later that year, she competed in Miss Universe, to be Miss Universe. And as she walked out on that stage in her evening gown, all by herself, millions of people watching all around the world on live television, she lost her footing and fell flat on her backside. She was so embarrassed. She got up as quickly as you could imagine that happening to you put a smile back on her face. And the sad thing was, is the audience was not very forgiving. There were some boos and some cheers and people humiliated her. And in spite of her fall, she made it to the top five in the competition. And her next task was to answer a question. You know how they ask the questions randomly by the judges. And she walked back to the stage where she had just fallen just a few minutes earlier. And a judge picked a question out of the hat and the question was: if you could relive any moment of your life <laughs> over again and do it differently, what moment would that be? And her most embarrassing moment was just 20 minutes earlier. How many of us would have said, Boy, I'd like to relive that moment, right? I'd like to, I'd like to have that, oh, that whole walking out over again. But without missing a beat, what I love about it is what she said. She said, If I could relive any moment of my life again, I would relive my trip to Africa when I worked with orphans, seeing their beautiful faces, feeling their warm embraces. In other words, think about this, instead of of trying to relive a moment of pain or embarrassment or humiliation, she chose to relive a moment of joy, a moment where she was making a difference, a moment where where God was using her to make a difference in this world. Isn't that a great thing, amen? See, too often we get our performance mixed up with our identity. Performance, identity. In other words, you may have failed. That doesn't make you a failure. That's what you did, not who you are. Someone say amen. Amen. You are a child of the Most High God. You have been handpicked and selected by the creator of the universe. God wants you to be here. You may struggle with an addiction, but you're not just an addict. That's what you did, that's not who you are. You can be free, you can be cleansed, you can be restored. So don't go around dwelling on your past mistakes or past embarrassments. Quit replaying all the times you failed, all the times you gave into temptation, the times you blew that relationship, the time it didn't work out. What does that do when you replay that in your mind? It just brings you down. So just like, you know, we have this funny thing that we fight at and fight about in my household, It's called the remote control. (laughs) And whoever's king of the house has the remote control. And just like you have a remote control to change the channel on television, some of you have got to learn how to change the channel in your mind. You'll not be free from guilt. You're not going to enjoy life if you're constantly replaying negative memories from your past. Amen? So if you're gonna replay anything, why not replay the times that God really used you? Why not replay the times that you really made a difference? Why not replay the times that you really impacted someone's life? That will change your perspective. I mean, look, we're all gonna have moments where we fall on our backside. We're all gonna have moments where we're embarrassed. We're all gonna have moments, and I can assure you, they will show up on your movie screen. They will show up automatically. You don't even ask for them, right? But you gotta learn to change the channel. So today I want to talk to you about that. I want to talk to you about a theme called under construction. Uh, One time and one time only, and I do mean one time only, never again, Renee and I decided to build a house together. Do not do this if you want to stay married. (laughs) Buy a house that's already done. The foundation was poured of our house. The framing went up. The roof was in place. No shingles. There was a big storm. And it rained on and off for a couple of days. And when it cleared up, we went over to the house to check out the damage. That was not a good thing to do. The living room in this house was actually lower than the other rooms. It had about a foot of water in it. It was dirty, there was mosquitoes. It looked like a swimming pool for mosquitoes. The plywood was floating around. The workers had tracked mud all through the house. There was trash piled up. It looked like a disaster. What's interesting is Renee and I did not say, hey, let's stop building this place. This place is so messy, it's never going to be what we want. We did not say that. We knew it was part of the process, right? You can't have a beautiful house sometimes without the rain and the mud and the sheetrock dust and the paint and all that other stuff. In the same way, sometimes you see things that are messy in your life, the things you struggle with, the things that seem out of place, and you are under construction, doesn't mean it's not going to work out. That water in your living room, that disappointment, that betrayal, that time you failed, may not like it, but it's part of the process. You're under construction. You cannot be all that God created you to be without some messy places. Some of you are looking at your neighbor going, yeah, for sure. See, to an untrained eye like me and Renee's, a construction site can look disorganized. It can, it can look like, hey... It's not happening. But to an architect, to a general contractor, someone that has the plans, they're not worried. They know exactly where it's going, right? But your architect is the most high God. God has designed specific plans and that's plural there, not just one plan, but plans for your life. And the good news is your messy places in life will not stop your destiny. The delays, the things you don't understand, even the mistakes you made, God's taken those into account. You sometimes feel stuck. God is probably saying, hey, look, you're right on the schedule. You're not a finished product. I'm still working on you. What I started, I'm going to bring to completion. Now, I know we've started this whole service without something that you're used to and that you love. Groners. I haven't done any groaners. Don't you miss it? Yeah. Liars. I don't know, speaking of construction, I don't know if you've heard, but out of all the modern construction tools, the shovel is really the most groundbreaking. <laughs> well, seriously, we, we, we've been doing construction here at the church. I mean, we've painted the ceilings, we've got new lights, and, and yet, and, and, and while it was happening, I was at the construction site, there was actually an accident. I was, I was hit in the head by a can. Luckily for me, it was a soft drink. I actually love your reaction more than anything. It's a great stuff. So, so I, seriously, I was, I was, we did such a great job here at the church with construction in the new building. I was offered a construction job in Egypt this morning. I was. Turned out to be a pyramid scheme. Anyhow, can you take one more? Can you take? I don't care. I'm going to give you one more. I, I watched a documentary about how they fix things and fix steel work. It was riveting. Anyhow, all right. I would tell you another construction joke, but I'm still working on it. Oh, they just keep flowing. They just don't ever stop. Uh. Yeah, yeah. All right. In all seriousness, though, when you think about your past, when you think about your messy life, there's this thing that the devil does. And remember the devil's name because it reveals what the devil loves. The devil is called the accuser. And the accuser likes to say things like, hey, you're too messy. You've got too many flaws for God to use you. You've got too many weaknesses. You've just made too many mistakes. Just remind him, I'm under construction. I may have some messy places, but God is not finished with me. Paul said, and I talked about this a couple weeks ago, Paul says in Ephesians 2.10, you are God's masterpiece. How many of you think that's true? Come on, get your hands up now. I said that two weeks ago, I preached about it. I had someone walk out the door and they said, Pastor John, I know you said I'm God's masterpiece. I said, yes, you are. And they go, well, sometimes I feel like I was made in China. (laughs) You may not be where you need to be yet, but if you keep beating yourself up, you're never going to get there. Living with that negative recording, living with that movie screen flashing back, your attitude should be hey, I'm a masterpiece in the making. Well, you struggle with addiction. Yes, but I know a secret. You're under construction. God's not done with you. You still have a temper. Yes, you could still say things you shouldn't. Yes, but I'm getting better. I'm growing. I'm not as bad as I used to be. I'm coming up higher. And what God has started in me, God is going to finish. You have to look beyond the mess and see the masterpiece. In fact, just to help you understand that not everyone sitting around you today is Deacon Dan or Elder Eddie or Sunday School Sally or Missionary Mary, okay? You're under construction. So as a way of reminding people that, turn to your neighbor right now and say, you've come a long way, baby. Go ahead and say that. I didn't say discuss it, just say it, that's good. (laughs) On the hidden side of every Christian, there is a sign, and it says, God at work. Think about this. This is one of the great stories. God told Abraham, when the Scripture says, Abraham's body was as good as dead. I don't know how many physicals you've ever gotten where the doctor wrote on your physical report, good as dead. But that's not a good physical. God told Abraham when his body was as good as dead, you're going to have a son and you're going to become the father of many nations. But he and his wife were way too old, way past childbearing years. Women knew when they were done having kids. They prayed, they stood in faith for years, for years, 10 years, 11 years, 12 years, 13, 14, 20 years go by, still no baby, still no baby. So Sarah says to Abraham, Abraham, I have an idea. Why don't you sleep with the maid, and maybe God will give us his son that he promised. Abraham didn't even have to pray about that one. (laughs) No problem, honey, whatever you say. He sleeps with the maid. They have a son named Ishmael. This became the, the, the Muslim nation. They were so excited, they finally had their baby. God comes back and says, Abraham, Sarah, that is not the promised child, that's your own doing. This caused all kinds of strife and division. Sarah gets mad at Abraham. What were you thinking sleeping with the maid? He says, what do you mean? You're the one that told me to do it. She said, I know, but you shouldn't have listened to me. This is all an imaginary conversation, but I'm pretty close. I'm pretty close. Lord, help all of us men, okay? Abraham and Sarah were at odds, arguing with each other. If this wasn't bad enough, Sarah is so upset in her mind, she gives Abraham an ultimatum. Either the maid is leaving or I'm leaving, but we're not staying together. Abraham felt badly about it. The maid hadn't done anything wrong. Yet he had to send her and her son out into the desert. Now, Abraham is the father of our faith. He is the patriarch of Jews, Christians, and Muslims, all three. You'd be hard pressed, though, to find a more dysfunctional family than this one. He was in a messy place, had a baby out of wedlock strife, trouble, division in this house, most people would have written them off. Most people would have said, it's too late for you guys. You need to be on reality TV, real housewives of the Bible. You've got so much drama in your life. God looked at them and said, under construction, the messy places are all part of the process. It may be uncomfortable. You don't understand it. You may have brought trouble on yourself. It's not a surprise to God. He's not like, whoa, look at this. When God designed your plants, he took it into account. Despite their wrong choices, despite their dysfunction, at 90 years of age, God caused Sarah to conceive and give birth to Isaac, which means laughter because they laughed at the thought of it all. They laughed that everyone in the family had no teeth. You think you got teeth at 90? Did they have a dental plan back then? Everybody's teething at the same time. (laughs) If Abraham and Sarah saw their promise come to pass after all that mess, if they saw their promise come after all that mess, what makes you think God is not going to bring your plans to pass? Well, John, my situation's too messy. Couldn't be any messier than theirs. Well, I got water on my living room floor, mud on my floors. You're under construction. That's part of the process. Doesn't mean God is going to finish and just say that's it and give up on you. Here's how amazing God is. It says in the book of Romans in the New Testament that Abraham did not waver in his faith. Having a baby out of wedlock, to me, that sounds like wavering. I don't know. Being impatient, trying to make things happen in your own strength, having to kick somebody out of your own house, that seems like wavering to me. But God does not see that construction process as wavering. The mistakes Abraham made, the strife, the dysfunction, God didn't hold it against him. In fact, God called Abraham a hero of the faith. This means there's hope for all of us. Yes. So quit beating yourself up. You're under construction. When God brings you to completion, when he delivers you from the addiction, when he turns your family around, he's not going to remember your weakness. Scripture says God distinctly forgets as far as the east is the west, that's infinity, your sins, your mistakes. God's not gonna bring up your past mistakes and failures. God knows you're under construction. We all have messy places. We all make mistakes. We all have things we have to overcome. But one of the worst mistakes we can make is we go through life focused against ourselves, focused against our failure, replaying that movie screen of when we fell. It's a funny thing, there are several places in scripture when it tells Christians that we as, as a body of Christ, we are called to confess our sins to one another as a way of accountability, as a way of uh, forgiveness, as a way of saying, hey, you can do better. However, nowhere in the Bible are we told to confess another person's sins. <laughs> but we like to specialize in this, don't we? Of reminding, uh, people love to remind you of how many times you've been under construction. You've had enough people and circumstances against you and against yourself. Don't be against yourself too. You have to be at peace with being under construction. You're going to have some messy places, some things you don't understand, some weaknesses. The accuser will work overtime. He will send a crew of people to remind you of your mistakes. And people will join with them. What if you turned it all around? You said, you know what, Father, I thank you that I'm still under construction, that you're still working on me. I know this is a mess. The sign says I'm under construction, just like with Abraham. Despite my shortcomings, despite my failures, you're still going to work it out, so I'm going to end up where I need to be. When you live like that, God will say you're a hero of the faith. Turn to your neighbor and tell them right now, obviously, I'm under construction. Go ahead and do that. (laughs) Don't agree with them too too much. Don't agree. All right. You see this, some of you are having discussions about it now. I didn't say name their sins, just you know. You see this with Peter. You see this in Peter with Peter's one of Jesus' disciples. Peter is hot tempered, he uses bad language. One time he got so angry he cuts off a soldier's ear, Malchus' ear. One moment he's defending Jesus. He's a hero of the faith. The next moment he's denying Jesus. I don't know who you're talking about. Never spent a day with him. Swearing to authorities. He didn't know him. People could have looked at Peter and said, Peter, you're a mess. You got issues. God looked at him and said, You're under construction. If your neighbor needs to hear this this next line, if your neighbor needs to hear this next line, say amen. amen. The difference between how people saw Peter and saw him and how God saw him is that God had the plans. God could see what Peter is going to become. People just saw his flaws, his hot temper, his instability, his wavering faith. And this is why it's so important we don't write anybody off. We don't judge anybody because we can't see their plans. We don't know what God has designed for them. We see people that have made mistakes, have weaknesses, and we think, boy, they're never going to get it together. And we write them off. And we don't realize they're under construction. Oh, they had a child out of wedlock, he slept with a maid. Well, she told him to, yeah, but he still did it. She didn't really mean it. Am I making sense here? They're still under construction. God's still working on them. I was at my dentist this last week. I hate the dentist, but I like teeth. <laughs> so it would be awkward if I didn't have any teeth up here. You wouldn't like it, and neither would I. And I'd be divorced anyway, this is going a whole different direction than my notes. <laughs> I was at the dentist, and the lady cleaning my teeth uh, goes to Our Lady of Perpetual Help or something like this, and she's very curious about my job as a pastor. She keeps asking me these questions that you can't answer because they're sharp instruments in your mouth. And she's like, where did you get your sermon examples from? From people who mess up? Uh-huh. She's Catholic. Do you have a confessional booth? Do people confess their sins to you? What's the juiciest sin you've ever heard? (laughs) Then she says, have you ever had a woman come confess an affair? Well, we all know where you're at, don't we? (laughs) (laughs) Does it make you feel better, pastor, when people confess their sins to you? I said, no, not really. I mean, I have enough weaknesses of my own to deal with. I don't have time to judge somebody else for their weaknesses. I really don't. We all have different struggles. Everybody has struggles. But I love the fact that Jesus chose Peter, even though he was hot-tempered, even though he knew, Jesus knew he was going to deny him. But God had the plans, and God said, you know what, he's going to become the rock upon which I'll build the church. He didn't choose him because he was perfect. He chose him because he had the blueprint. He knew he wasn't a finished product. Peter ended up becoming one of the most respected, influential leaders. And the birth of the church, he gave the the speech that led to the conversion of 3,000 people at Pentecost. So what I'm saying is, where you're at now is not necessarily important. It is actually where you're going. Oliver Wendell Holmes had a great quote. I find the great thing in this world is not so much where we stand as it is what direction we are moving. To reach the port of heaven, we must sail sometimes with the wind and sometimes against it. But we must sail and not drift nor lie at the anchor. So we're all sailing. The mess does not disqualify you. The mess means you're under construction. When you see other people that look like they have it all together, don't feel bad about yourself. Everyone, trust me, they're just hiding the construction process better than you. (laughs) We all have messy places. Everyone. Everyone's a mess. God can still make you. Stay pliable. Stay humble. We should be getting better every year. Don't let the mess become permanent. The addiction, the hot temper, the negative attitude, that's not who you are. Keep growing. Keep resisting temptation. Keep saying no. Every time you do the right thing, the next time it gets a little bit easier. And there's nothing wrong with being under construction, but there is something wrong when the construction project never has any progress. So do your part. Be willing to change. Say, God, mold me, melt melt me, help me. God will do His part. You know, Sometimes when you can see a construction site, you can't tell if they're tearing something down or building something up. This is particularly true with the new bridge that's going up. <laughs> what is going on? You've been downtown lately or seen the bridge they're building down there? I drive by and I'm confused. Are we building this up or are we tearing it down? There was a big pile of debris and dirt I saw the other day, and there was, it, was, it was like metal and bricks, and they had torn down this small structure, and they were actually digging a foundation for one of those big you know, concrete, I don't know, I'm not an engineer, pylons that they put the bridge on, and there was a hole, it was probably 100 feet in the ground, and they were pouring these deep piers, and, and of course, the taller that bridge, the deeper that foundation has to be, Right? So when we built our new building across here, we actually spent a lot of extra money because the foundations in Corpus are tricky. And the foundation this building is on is, will we'll never move. It's like 35 feet on, on piers, like it's never moving, never. And we paid that price over there, the never moving price. <laughs> and it's not sexy, right? Nobody ever goes, wow. Look at that foundation. <laughs> the foundation of that house is better than our house. What? You don't see it. It's underground. It's hidden. But you can argue it is the most important part. Because if they build a huge tower, a huge they or bridge, and they don't take the time to put a proper foundation, it won't last. We have big dreams. God put promises in our hearts. God put things and plans in your heart to do. We're not growing, we're not seeing the good breaks. We may not realize that God is trying to work on your foundation, how we treat people, how we respond to adversity, and we don't like it because it's not sexy. Nobody can see it. For instance, I paid $500 last week for a crown that you can't see. I want you to see it because my insurance paid another $1,400, $2,000 went into my mouth and I don't look any better. It's not sexy. I said to the dentist, this won't help. Can we add a whitener or something? No, that's extra. But the foundation is so important Like the building, the higher you're going to go up, the deeper your foundation has to be. So don't get discouraged when things are not happening on your timetable. God knows what he's doing. Keep passing the test. Times are not changing. Keep having the good attitude that will keep making you stronger. God's probably working on your foundation. See, God will not release for you what he knows until you can handle it. It wouldn't be a blessing if God gave it to you and you were not ready. You see this over and over again in character development in scripture. Look at David, look at Peter. If God had an 80-story building plan for you, but has only designed a 40-story foundation, it may be easier, but God's gonna do you a disservice. So don't fight the foundation work. Don't get sour because things aren't moving as fast as you'd like. Something's happening you can't see, your foundation's going deeper. God's preparing you for something even greater. And when our house was being built, <laughs> most of the walls were up, and um, they put in a couple of extra walls. And I went over there, and I thought I was brilliant. I went over there, and I had the plans. Hey, these walls are not supposed to be here. And I called the general contractor. Hey, these walls are extra. And he goes, you know, we're having some high winds. We've put some temporary walls up, you doofus. <laughs> See, I didn't know what I was talking about. As the builder, he had more knowledge, more experience. He was doing things that didn't make sense to me, things that I didn't understand. Likewise, God does things in our life sometimes that doesn't make sense to us at the time. But looking back, you're like, you know what? It makes sense. In the same way, God, our builder, will allow things we don't always understand. Looks like a mistake. God has a reason. Well, John, I'm working at this job where I'm just not using my gifts. I have so much more in me. This seems like a mistake. Could be God's working on your foundation, teaching you humility, teaching you how to get through adversity, teaching you patience. Those are foundation things. They're not sexy. Do you think a God who's so precise and so detailed that he causes the earth to rotate down to the exact millisecond is going to somehow allow you to falter on your plan, let something happen that wasn't designed, so it's, so a bad break keeps you from your destiny. I don't believe that. If God made a mistake with you, it would be the first one. Hello? <laughs> I don't know, I think God screwed up with me. No, I don't think so. You're not that special. So trust Him while you're under construction. Trust God in the messy places. Trust Him when you're sure it's a mistake. Sometimes God has to take us backwards before he can take us forward. He has to dig down deep before we can go up higher. He has to prune you before you can bloom. If you'll stay in faith, you're going to see how it's going to work for your good. God called Moses to deliver the Israelites. That was his plan. That was the blueprint for Moses' life. But there were a dozen things that made it look like a mistake, When Moses was born, the king put out a decree that all Hebrew male babies, because the Hebrews were getting too strong for the Egyptians, too prolific, that all Hebrew babies under two should be killed. It looked like God chose the wrong time for Moses to be born. It looked like God had made a mistake. But Moses' mother hid him in a basket, sent him down the Nile River. There were snakes and alligators. He could have tipped over. He could have drowned. Do you think he could swim? But what God has ordained for your life, what he's planned for before the foundation of time, what's on the blueprint can't be stopped by snakes or alligators or decrees or kings. So Pharaoh's daughter was at the river taking a bath. She heard the cries coming out of the basket. And who can resist a baby? When she saw baby Moses, it was love at first sight. She took him in and actually paid his mom to nurse him. As he grew up, Moses knows he's supposed to deliver the Israelites. One day he saw an Egyptian mistreating a Hebrew slave. He didn't think anyone was watching, so he kills the man. Someone did see him, so he has to flee for his life. He spent 40 years hiding in the backside of the desert in Midian. Looked like he missed his destiny. 40 years, God's working on the foundation of Moses. 40 years. I'm sure he felt like a failure. So when he's 80 years old, God appears to him through a burning bush. All right, Moses, now it's your time to deliver the Israelites. And he has all kinds of excuses as to why he can't. And God gets angry with him and burns anger at him and says, come on, you can do this. This is what is planned for your life. You cannot find anyone in Scripture that did something significant that didn't have messy places. Times they didn't understand. Times it wasn't fair. Times they felt disqualified. But like with Moses, when it all came together, it made sense. They went from construction to completion. Someone say amen. Here's the key. You cannot properly judge the construction process without the plans. You may think, I'm done, John. I'm finished. I've made too many mistakes. I missed my destiny. If you had the plans and that's what they said, I would agree with you. But the problem is we don't get the plans. funny. God said in Jeremiah, the plans I have for you are are good and not to harm you and to give you a future and to give you a hope. What God has planned for you does not end in defeat and failure and mediocrity and addictions or in dysfunction. Your story ends in victory. Paul says in Corinthians, thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph. I've heard it said, God always ends in all is well. If all is not well, then it's not the end. If there are things that are holding you back, things out of place, things that are messy, that just means you're under construction. Don't get discouraged. God's still working. It's not like God says, oh, this is too much of a mess for me to handle. You didn't miss your destiny because of a rough childhood, or somebody walked out on you and broke your heart or someone died early on you, or people tried to stop you from your dream, God has a final say. So tune out all those voices that say, you blew it, you had your chance, God wouldn't have allowed it if it was going to keep you from your destiny. It's part of the process. So what I'm asking implicitly, I haven't said it explicitly yet, but I'm gonna say it now, is have you ever asked God, what are your plans for my life? Why am I here on this earth? Because we are all hurtling towards death at lightning speed. Everyone's like, ooh, I'm glad I came today. Thanks for that reminder. But you are. I bury people every week. Every week, it's a reminder that I am headed right where they're at. God, what are your plans for my life? Is it just to have more money in the bank account? Is it just pay off my car, have 2.5 kids, and I'm still at work till I'm 65? I've got 9,490 days left on earth. I number every day. I know you think I'm weird. I don't really care. It actually says in Psalm 90, verse 12. You're supposed to number our days. Lord, teach us to number our days so that we'll make them count. So if the average man in America lives 76, I've got 9,490 days. I'm under 10,000 days. Dang it. When's the last time you said, God, God, what should I do with my 9,490 days left? What did you draw from me, God, when you were making me in my mother's womb? Sometimes circumstances in life will ask you that question. God, what are your plans for my life? So I'll close with this story because sometimes we can, we can answer that question and God will show us the plans. There's a guy named Peter York. Eight years ago, Peter York was a retired orthopedic surgeon. Made a lot of money, helped a lot of people. He was also a part-time pilot. His wife died suddenly from a heart attack. He was distraught, deeply searching for a new direction. In his own words, my wife passed away. I was in the darkest place you can imagine. A mutual friend of ours called me and said, you know, Peter, you need to knock this off. Meg would want you to be happy. God still has work for you to do, so get out there. That's called an existential kick. So he began to ask God, God, what are your plans for my life? And God had the strangest answer. God said, I want you to help dogs, dogs. And Peter said, surely this is not God. I've had too much sugar today. But God came back the next day, I want you to help dogs, dogs. What can I do for dogs? Peter's living in Jackson, Wyoming, where, in his words, I was living in a cocoon in Jackson where, you know, life is good, and everybody has a dog, and all the dogs are well taken care of, and the shelter is always empty. York has always loved dogs ever since he was a boy. He even says, I like dogs better than most people I know. <laughs> Somebody, you are like, yeah. <laughs> so God began to connect the dots. Out of the blue... He gets a call from a shelter in Texas, the El Paso dog shelter, where there are lots of willing adopters. It's a common story at shelters in several cities, but it's not the story in every city. In other words, some cities, their shelters are completely empty, and other cities, the shelters are completely full, and they're having to, you know, euthanize these dogs. So he took the seats out of his plane and took the disguise and he co-founded a nonprofit called The Dog (laughs) is My (laughs) Co-Pilot, and the mission is to fly or transport dogs from areas that have a high euthanasia rate to areas that will never put down a healthy animal. A typical day for Peter now involves loading up a plane full of animals in California, then dropping off to partners in Portland, Seattle, or Montana. A reporter asked him, what's the maximum number of animals you've had on the flight? 251, Peter says. What did that smell like? (laughs) He says, you have no idea. It was an amazing olfactory experience. (laughs) To date, Dog is My Co-Pilot has flown more than 16,000 animals, mostly dogs. Okay, a few cats. Um, Back at the airport, an empty plane means a successful trip for Peter, and he'll be back in two weeks to do it all over again, hitting a half a dozen other towns in the meantime. And the reporter said, does this mean and does this job that you found, has it helped you find your purpose? And he had the great quote. He said, you know, you're out there saving dogs, and Peter said, yeah, but I really think they saved me. They got me back into the world, back on God's plans for my life. You know, God does love dogs. It says in the book of Jonah, God even loves cows. Come on, you love Whataburger, you know you do. (laughs) When we were building our house, at one point, all the switches were in, the floors were down, the cabinets were done. The only problem was there was no power to the house. We were waiting for a permit and a few other things, and every night we'd go over and check and to see if the power was on. For over a month, we were ready for for power. Finally, one evening, went over and the power was connected. Everything was different. Air conditioning. (laughs) It's ready to move in. The appliances worked. With that one connection, it was a whole new world. That power. And I believe that you're about to come into one of those connections. I think we're all on the verge of that. You've been honoring God, and God can flip the switch for you. Suddenly, the door opens, the healing comes. Suddenly, the right person shows up, and you can go from construction to completion. Those things that are hindering you, sometimes God's using them to make your foundation deeper. Despite the mistakes you've made, just like Moses, you can fulfill your destiny. It may be transporting dogs, I don't know. But you're, it's okay to be under construction. Let's pray. God of grace, we give thanks for this time to come together and to think about the ways that you're working and moving in our lives. Help us, Lord, to recognize those times when we're under construction, that maybe you're working on a foundation of character, of patience, of integrity, of overcoming adversity, and you want our foundation to be firm and good and able to withstand the weight and pressure of the life that you're building for us. So, Father, help us not to write off ourselves or write off anyone else. And help us, Lord, to to replay the moments where you have blessed us, where you have used us, where we have done what you've called us to do. And, Lord, help us ultimately to ask, God, what are your plans for my life? What do I do with the days that I have left? For some of us, we have more than 9,490. For some, there's less days And that just makes it all the more urgent that we take advantage of the time that we've been given, the opportunity that we're here in this moment in history to make your kingdom come, your will being done. And God, I know our plans are more than just to pay the bills or to make the mortgage or or pay for our car or whatever. It's more than that. So God, help us to know that, to ask that question and to let you answer it and let you fill in that blank. And and ultimately Lord, help us to be patient when we see those messy areas in the lives of ourselves and others. For we know like Peter, we're often things that we'd like to change, but you have the final blueprint and you're working us towards completion. So Father, we pray this in the name of Jesus. The one who the scripture says he actually prays for us. He, he sits at your right hand in heaven and he prays for us and intercedes for us so that we might become all that you intend for us to be. And so, Father, help us as we say now the prayer that he taught us. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. And forgive forgive us our debtors. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. we kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us at Grace Presbyterian Church. We hope and we trust that this message was a blessing and gave you much encouragement as you face today. At Grace Presbyterian Church, we are a church family that welcomes everyone who welcomes everyone. And we would love to welcome you. So please join us either online or in person. You'll find a community that loves God and loves each other. And we are blessed by other people joining us. So please come and join us at Grace Presbyterian Church.